and we're doing the Political Power Hour. Thank you so much for staying tuned in. Many of us are preparing ourselves for the election season. And as we prepare for our election season, many of us have not equipped ourselves with the knowledge or information necessary in order to be informed and well-educated voters. So I'm here with you on Wednesday, June 1st, 2022, so that we can talk politics. We wanna be able to vote intelligently. But in order to understand and comprehend politics, business as usual, many say business as usual, in order to comprehend it, let's run back and start at the beginning. So I don't want to insult anyone who is already familiar with these concepts and principles, but for those people in the community that may not be aware of how politics works, this show is for you. So before we get right into it, in regards to how politics works, what politics really is, where it all began, we've always got to Sankofa. You've got to know the history of a thing in order to know its present and potentially its future. We the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defenses, promote for the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the preamble for the United States Constitution. Uh, let me make that correction. There are two constitutions. That is the preamble for the Constitution of the United States of America. Recognizing that this is the Constitution that is for the people and by the people. There is another Constitution that is strictly commerce. It is all about buy, sell, and trade. Let's be very clear, ladies and gentlemen. In September 17th of 1787, the Constitution was written for white people. There were no free black people to be concerned about. So the language of the Constitution is extremely ambiguous. It is, it is massaged language in regards to black people. Brown people, the Constitution refers to brown people in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Those are the only amendments. That is the only section of the Constitution that really speaks to civil rights, and those civil rights are for blacks. 
brown people, freed slaves as they were called at the time that the Constitution was being written and composed and proposed. There were no free black people of any substantial number. Now, trust me, there were, there were some good black folks who was, you know, fighting for their freedom. But I'm talking about 1787. 1787, most brown-hued or black people as we know it, were enslaved in this country, in this United States of America. So the Constitution and its laws and bylaws were not written by us, nor were they written for us. Only the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment is a direct, speaks directly to black people. Now other nationalities of people and other uh, groups of people have tried to buy into the civil rights that were created for brown-hued people. I don't um, want to offend anyone, but I gotta tell you like it is. If you were not brown in America, these civil rights, they do not pertain to you. So please, it's a, it is actually offensive for other people to talk about their civil rights if they are not brown people in America. And we'll get more into that later because you may be out there questioning me, wondering how dare she say such a thing when the Constitution was written for all people. Yeah, I believe that too at one, at one point in my life. But then I began to study and do my homework and research and I realized what I'm sharing with you today. Only 13th, 14th, and 15th are meant as civil rights for brown hue people. So when we talk politics, we have to remember where it began, how it started, what was the framework of the framers, what was the mindset of the people who built the Constitution. And, and again, this is a lot of information that we're gonna get into as we move forward. But you and I both know, we can pull up names easily, Google the names of the slave owners who were also considered as the fathers or framers of the Constitution of the United States. They were slave owners. So let's get that part clear from the gate. There is a place in the Constitution that speaks to slavery. So let's, let's get into that just a little bit. Three-fifths of a whole, well, the bottom number, if I remember my math correctly, the bottom number is always the number of the whole. So if you are three-fifths of the whole, five being the whole, the fifth is the whole, and you're three parts of the five, that's a little bit more than half, right? Well, they said 
the framers of the Constitution proclaimed that brown men and women, people, were only three-fifths human. Now, <laughs> I'm sure I can imagine what they thought the other two parts were. Animal, monkey, they called us monkeys. They said we were animals, much alike to dogs. You know, and I could, I could really get nasty at this point and say something really ignorant, like, you know, when the white slave owner saw the size of the black mandingo man, the slave, the buck, he immediately began to call us monkeys and slaves because he had never seen anything of such proportions before in his life. It had to be an animal who grew that big naturally. Use your imagination, ladies and gentlemen, and think with me, think with me, think with me. Oftentimes on the auction block, we were not properly covered. So all of our most important parts were exposed. And when that white slave owner took one look at that black mandingo standing and hanging there, his hatred and his envy for him grew. And they said we were three-fifths human. They say, or they said, that slavery was abolished except for those who are indebted, servitude, or who have committed a crime. If you are indebted, which means you did not have 40 acres and one mule and $100, then you were considered to be as an indebted human. Well, maybe not even human. <laughs> Person. 40 acres, one mule, and $100 meant that you were free of debt. If you did not have those things, you were considered as indebted, servitude. And if you committed a crime, those things would allow you to become a slave. Thus, we have our prison systems today. But this isn't make some intelligent noise, the justice movement. This is the political power hour being brought to you by make some intelligent noise, I am Rochelle Wilson, and we are here together at WHGE 95.3 FM, the one and only Black-owned, Black-operated news information uh, advocacy and education station in the entire state of Delaware. Thanks to the ambition, the foresight, the insight of one Mr. Harmon Carey. Thank you so much for doing this, Mr. Harmon Carey. Many people said that you could not do it, that you would fail. But sir, drop the mic. You showed them, you showed them what you were made of. And we say bravo to Mr. Harmon Carey. So this is not the political, this is not the make some intelligent noise justice hour. This is the political power hour, where all we do is talk politics. But you, 
you will easily see in today's world as much as in 1787, 1776, and the dates continue, that politics is intertwined with everything else. Politics is intertwined with everything else. There is very, there are very few things that you can look at today or become a part of today where there is not some sort of political affiliation or association to that something, that organization, that business. And I'm hoping that as we move forward, we'll be able to cover all of that. I have some amazing guests lined up to join me to talk politics. We're gonna talk about the red versus the blue. We're gonna talk about the different forms and types of politics and the politicians. So we've got some great stuff coming for you. I've really worked hard and I've planned for this and I've been doing my homework and I wanna share all of that with you every Wednesday right here at WHGE. If I'm not here at the radio station sharing with you my information and my homework, then I will be somewhere at a political event and I will be sharing the information with you remotely. But I will get it to you. But let's go just a little bit further as we continue to dive into the language the massaged, ambiguous language of the Constitution of the United States, and then we'll bring that fast forward to politics. So even then, at the time that the Constitution was being written, we had people of various different opinions, thoughts, and viewpoints. Oh, there was quite a bit of arguing and contention between the framers of the Constitution and how it should be done. People definitely did not agree on the wording and the language. And I want you to know the language means everything. If you are not familiar with words, that's okay. Stay with me. I'll share the language and the meaning of the language with you as we learn and move forward together. But the language was very massaged. In 1789, it said, it states, any person in bondage, indebted, are three-fifths human and therefore qualified for imprisonment. Anyone that commits a crime is qualified for imprisonment. So I didn't have to commit a crime or it was a crime if I were only considered as three-fifths human. If I owed a debt, if I did not have 40 acres, one mule and a hundred dollars, the very color of my skin gave them permission 
constitutionally to enslave me, to imprison me. Now, when you look at uh, many of our law schools today, that will tell us in great, there's classes that we can take that will teach us uh, about the Constitution and the theory of the Constitution as well as the mindset of the framers. And again, throughout this entire broadcast, remember, the framers, not all, but many, many of the framers of the Constitution of the United States were slave owners. So think about that when we read the language moving forward. So in the 1500s, the social construction was created by the Vatican. Uh, Henry the Navigator brought 16 black people to the Vatican as slaves, the first in the slave trade. Europe was being absolutely destroyed by disease. They were sick, 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 and dying of all kinds of sickness, dis-ease dis-ease, they were dying over in Europe. And so when Henry, which we don't have a last name on him, it's documented historically as Henry the Navigator, in 1446, traveled and came to these Americas where there were already people here living in on these lands, in these Americas. We were known at that time, they called us Amexamore. That was the entire North, Amer North America, North Amexamore. The people that were living here in the most common language were known as Native Americans. And when we think Native Americans, we think of uh, Indians running around with he feathers in their caps on horses with red skin and no shirts. But that's not the actual fact because as we pull back the layers of the Constitution, we will see the treaty of peace and friendship between the European foreigners, the immigrants that came to these lands, and the Moroccans who were upon these lands. When, allegedly, Christopher Columbus in 1492 discovered America he did not discover America as if it were uninhabited. He discovered it as if I'm walking down the street and I discover a diamond ring laying on the side of the sidewalk. I've discovered a diamond ring. That doesn't mean it doesn't have an, a previous owner. Just because I am finding this diamond ring for the very first time does not mean that it did not have a previous owner. Just because Christopher Columbus went back to Spain and told everyone he discovered America does not mean it was not already inhabited. Because it was. And it was inhabited by the Moors, the Native Americans, the people who had college universities who had irrigation systems, who had a way of life and a political, a political governance over the people, the common law. We had the common law. 
and it was understood if you shoot someone you're gonna get in a lot of trouble if you steal from someone it's gonna be trouble if you break these laws pretty much like the Ten Commandments thou shalt not steal thou shalt not are the 42 principles of ma'at would be a closer a more accurate <laughs> portrayal or description but as long as you stayed within the principles of the 42 principles of ma'at also known as the Ten Commandments it was watered down and, and reduced and that's a whole nother show another show for another day but just please trust me when I tell you, I would not get here uh, and tell you a whole bunch of horse shinaki. I'm gonna tell you the truth as I understand the truth. The 42 principles of Ma'at were long before the 10 commandments of the Holy Bible, Biblios Helios. Again, that's another conversation. The point that I'm making is when Christopher Columbus thought he discovered America, he did not. What he did do was bring many of his sick and diseased blankets and food and people to the shores of America, engaging with the Native Americans and causing sickness to break out amongst those that were already here and were healthy. So when the immigrants and when I say immigrants, I mean anyone that was not already upon these lands. And at that time, the entire North Amexamore, North America, was completely and absolutely inhabited by brown-skinned people. They might have been light golden brown, but they had a brown hue. All the way to the most beautiful color, black which encompasses every other color in its scheme. Every color in the world, in the scheme of colors, is found in the color black. You will not find that in the color white. You will not find that in any other color except black. So let's be very clear. He did not discover these lands as if they were uninhabited any more than I found a diamond ring and I said, hey, I found, I discovered a diamond ring. If the owner of that ring walks up to me and says, hey, that's my ring, you just, I saw you, that's, you picked up my ring, that's mine, I dropped it, or I left it there, I was video recording it, it's my ring. Here's proof, that's my ring. I would have no choice but to return it or go to battle and fight for it. In America, Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what the immigrants did. They came to these lands and they decided with their guns and gunpowder and weaponry to kill us, to slaughter us, to burn down our libraries, to destroy our universities, and then to enslave us. Now, it didn't happen all at once. It took time. It took years, years, and years, and years for these things to happen. But this is what happened. This is our history. The immigrants came here, decided that there was free land, enslaved the Native Americans, 
the land, distributed the land amongst themselves, and left us minus 40 acres and a mule. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the land is wealth. It's the wealth of the resources in the land. That's what's so important. Without land, we can't have farms or farm animals, milk and cows and ducks and geese and birds and chickens and whatever else is on a farm, horses and whatever. So these immigrants came here and by the declaration of the Vatican, the Catholic Church, they declared this land as their land. Divided the land up. These people get this many hundred acres and this, this group of folks, they'll get that many hundred acres of land and uh, these people will get that much and these people will get that much until it was all gone, all distributed. And to this day, to this day, 2022, we can go all the way back in the history books and find that the land to this day belongs to the descendants of those immigrants that stole it from us. So a constitution had to be written to create some order and some sensibility amongst the people because the immigrants that came here were like savages. They were almost savages. They were savages. I'll never forget the story in the history book. I read it and you won't find it in our high school history books because they, they don't want to give you that in high school. They don't want to tell you the truth. So our children go to school and they don't learn the true history. But I want to give you the real story when the immigrants from all of the Dutch and Spaniards and the English and all of those folks came over here via permission from the Catholic Vatican that there had been new land discovered and this was a great place to start a, a new foundation, frontier. So all of these other people start coming to these lands but the first group of folks the very first savages that, that arrived here, they would cut open the belly of pregnant women and use the babies as footballs. Football. They called it football. Football. Savages ravishing and raping the women, killing our children, filling us up with disease and pestilence from their country. They brought it here and gave it to our people just by way of association. So that's some of the history. Now let's fast forward. So now they're here. Brown people have been enslaved. White folks are at the top of the society's list. And it's a fact even to today that white society here in America owns 87% of everything. 87% of everything in America is owned by white people.
leaving only 13% left up for grabs for whoever can get it. When people come to this country from other places, store owners, you know, our brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, uh, those from Egypt and, and other parts of Africa, of the golden complexion, and they come and they set up corner stores, they get tax benefits and credits. Tax benefits and credits that you and I, if you're brown, you and I don't get those when we go to start our own little corner store. They're given tax credits and benefits. And I don't have the exact number. Someone told me it was seven years. Someone else told me it was five years. I don't believe everything people tell me. I like to do the research for myself. But let's just hypothetically say that very reliable resources that gave me the information, and, and I believe they're learned people. They're not slouches who sit around on the sofa and eat bonbons. They study, they do the work, they, they work in this type of environment. They've told me between five and seven years. That's a lot, ladies and gentlemen, of a tax break. And yet, you and I, our ancestors, built this nation on its back, literally. And yet the Constitution says that, and it hasn't been changed. I want you to know they have not changed that or taken that out. The last time I read it, which was two nights ago, they did not take out that we were three-fifths human. Or that slavery uh, was not acceptable if you are indebted or you know, indebted to someone. Or if you're in bondage, then you're allowed to be sent to the slave camp, which is today's prisons, which are full of brown-skinned people. Today's prisons full of brown-skinned people. 87% of everything in America belongs to white people. Generationally, it has been passed down from generation to generation, as it says in the preamble, for the general welfare and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. They were not talking about brown people and the posterity of brown people. They were talking about their liberty, their general welfare. The Constitution was not written with black people in mind. It was written during a time when black people were slaves and the framers of the Constitution were slave owners. Black and brown people in America in all of our genius and geniuses I believe we are but in all of our genius typically we produce <laughs> we produce sweat, labor, sweat equity. Because somebody else owns it, so we've got to just do the labor in order to keep them doing well. If you work for corporate America, 
you're bringing home forty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars, you know, paychecks a year, working for corporate America, but you're a brown person. You're still on the slave, baby. You're, you're still in the slave camp. You're being used for your labor, your sweat, your natural resources of greatness and genius, because you are a genius by divine nature. Just the very fact that you have melatonin in your, in your blood, in your body, coursing through you, makes you genius. Now, we don't all recognize our genius, but we are geniuses by every account. And yet, and yet, we're exchanged a paycheck for our labor and our sweat. But what do we own? There was a time when we owned a lot. Black people are very resilient people. And so we know about Rosewood and Green Hill, Greenwood. We know about the communities, even here, Eastside Pride. In the early 1900s, late 1800s, we owned stuff, we had stuff. We had our own cab companies and our own schools. There was a time when we had our own doctor's offices, our own hospitals and schools and businesses. We were shirt makers and shoemakers and uh, we did it all, our own dentists. We had our own communities and we were thriving. In those days, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the black dollar circulated at least 14 times within our community before it left our community. And then something happened by way of the federal laws, again looking to the Constitution, we got to know the history of a thing before we can move forward. So today I'm just laying out some basic historical facts, the foundation, so that when we get together next Wednesday and talk, you'll already be on point with the history of how it started. But we had something and we were doing very well in our own communities with our own people thriving 14 times the dollar would circulate amongst ourselves before it would leave the community. That's much like the Jews. The Jewish people, their dollar circulates 18 times in their community before it leaves the Jewish community. That's how they stay wealthy. And they pass it amongst themselves with each other. 18 times before it leaves the Jewish community. That's beautiful. That's smart. And there was a time when we did that. 14 times. We would spread the dollar amongst ourselves 14 times before it would leave the black community. Now, well, something happened. The word was, is desegregation. They decided to desegregate us. Separate but equal, no longer separate. 
now black children going into white schools and uh, black folks, you know, we had our own bus companies, our own cab companies, but we're so excited about being able to ride on the white man's bus and drive in the white man's uh, cab that we stopped spreading the dollar amongst our own selves. So our bus companies went out of business, our cab companies went out of business, our stores and dentists and doctors went out of business, school teachers no longer were teaching black children, now they want to apply for a job working in the white schools. Still making $10 less than their white counterpart teacher, but nonetheless, we thought we had arrived. Oh boy, I've arrived. Because now I can ride as a black man, I can get in a white cab. Forgetting the stupidity and the nonsense, forgetting that I can ride the same comfortable ride in my black cabs, keeping our business up and running. But we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We fell right into the trap as we so easily and so often we do. We fall right into the traps. Desegregation. And now, black people own what? What do we own? 87% of everything owned, owned, not rented, not leased, but owned in America. If it's owned, it's owned by white folks. White people own it. Not you, not me. Now there are a few sprinkles of us here and there. We might have a little corner store or uh, a little, you know, something. I love, I've got to give a shout out to Miss Lafayette because she owns her own uh, portrait studio. I believe she owns that. She's not a renter in the Loma district and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Mrs. Lafayette owns that little piece of property that is her studio. And there are others of us that own a little something. There's some of us all over America. We have a little something here or there. But it's not like it was. It's not the way it used to be. And it's not the way it should be. We should own so much more. So moving right along, just giving you the history, giving you the history, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's important that you know. Our social cohesiveness was dismantled in 1956 with social integration, desegregation. The one thing that brown people must remember that we have our greatest commonality is the color of our skin. So no matter what else is going on, we've got to build together. President Joe Biden says build back better or something. Is that what he says? Build back better, build to get build together. Somebody's building back better, I think. I think that's Joe Biden who says that. President Joe Biden. Community, land, development of the land, development of the resources, 
and share the brown dollar. If we are ever to get back to our greatness or move forward in being great, we've got to be a common unity, not just neighbors in the neighborhood, because in so many ways we've taken neighbor out of neighborhood and it's just the hood. Can you borrow a cup of sugar from your next door neighbor? Are y'all cool like that? Can you walk around the block and knock on someone's door like, hey, how you doing? Can we still do that? Are people afraid to, to talk to each other? Because you don't know what drama or stress might be going on with them and you don't want to get caught up in it. Do we still have neighbor in neighborhood or do we just have hood? Our common unity is the color of our skin. And yet, and we'll get into it, but I gotta tell you, we are shooting and killing each other at disproportionate numbers. And that's a part of the plan as well. We fell, we fell into that trap as well. This tribe doesn't like that tribe and this people, these brown people are killing these brown people. And we perpetuate that with our young people. Uh, that's again another story for another day. And I'll be glad to have that conversation with you on another show. But just think about it. Just think about it. Now, if you remember, after the Civil War was the second Constitution. That's when we get the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. But it also still included to be free in America, you had to have 40 acres of land and $100 and a mule. Thus, that's why so, so often in reparations people talk about, I never got my 40 acres and a mule. Well, no, you didn't. Because if, we, if, if America had given us our 40 acres or if we had kept our 40 acres, our one mule and our $100, they would have had no need for the next thing that took place, the Reconstruction period. The Reconstruction period. And, and mind you, ladies and gentlemen, while all of this is taking place, while all of these events are taking place in time, things are changing, just like things have changed from then to now. Look! But you gotta understand how we got here. How did we get here? And if you think as a brown person that you have arrived, snap two fingers up and you've arrived cause you got a nice house in Hokesson or somewhere out in the boondocks and you drive a Mercedes or something fancy, you think that you have arrived? <clears throat> Wrong answer. Because if you are, still truly in alignment with the ancestral DNA in your genes, in your body, your DNA, you are your brother's keeper. And if one of us is hungry, all of us are hungry. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived until all of us have arrived. And I cannot stop saying, because I'm so appalled at the fact that white folks have 247 years financial economic advantage over us as a direct result of the information that I'm sharing with you today. 
And you may think we're not talking politics because we're not talking about a particular name or a title or a particular elected official. Don't worry, we'll get there. Today is laying the foundation, the groundwork. We gotta understand the dates and the times and places that, that got us to this point. So then we'll understand from here what, to, what has to happen next. But you gotta know what happened. And for all of you, my intellectual, historian, savvy people, maybe this isn't the show for you. Or maybe you just listen to the show, write down where I've made mistakes and call me on it. Help me. I'm not, I'm not perfect at this. I've been studying, but I'm not perfect. And I wanna learn more. So if you know more than I do, qualify it. Let's learn together. But I'm giving you the information that I researched in the last month and for the last 13 years since I started learning the law. Once I started becoming a student of law, you have to know the Constitution to be a student of law. It doesn't make any sense. How are you going to learn the law if you don't even know the Constitutions? And yes, there was an S at the back of that. As I've already stated, there's two Constitutions. The Constitution of the United States, which is the one we're talking about today. And at some point later, as we move along, as we move along, we'll talk about the United States Constitution, which is a whole separate Constitution. That was all about commerce, commercial codes. We'll talk about it. Right now, I just want to talk a little bit about the Constitution of the United States. So, <clears throat> Social integration was a great way to dismantle the black community. It dismantled us economically. It dismantled us as a community, a common unity. Pit us against one another instead of having the, the unity that we once had where if somebody 10 blocks away was in a bad situation with the cops, everybody in the whole block came to stand uh, united as a united front, the common unity, the community. But social integration dismantled the black community. Our businesses, dentists went out of business, doctors went out of businesses, schools were torn down libraries, cab services, buses, you name it. Everything that we owned was just dismantled because now white folks said, oh, it's okay, you can come and work, labor, put your sweat equity over here in my business. I'm a dentist. Come on over here and be a dentist at my business. Come on over here and work for my corporation. I'll pay you very well for your sweat and your labor you'll never own anything. You won't be a stakeholder or a shareholder in anything. It's my business and I own it. But come on over here and work for me. Work for me. Why would you want to work for yourself? Why would you want to build with your own community and get something started when you can come over here and work for me just like you used to when I was the master and you were the slave? It works out perfectly for me. Do you see where I'm going with this, ladies and gentlemen? I'm being just a little sarcastic, but do, do you see where I'm going with this?
how much has really changed? What's different? Except that now when we go to the corporations that are owned and operated by white folks, we think we've arrived because we're making 30, 35, $40,000 a year. Oh man, you can't tell me I haven't arrived. I've got mine and the rest is up to them. If they don't have theirs, that's on them. Too bad for them. Wow. We never thought like that before. Before social integration, we never thought that way. We always stood together. We believed in each other and we worked together for the greater good of the common unity. So, I've given you just a taste, just a taste, not even, we have just hit the ice, the tip of the iceberg on, the, on politics and the laws that stemmed from politics. But you won't understand today's laws and how they function if you don't understand where they are derived from. Every law that's on the books today is either an amendment or an addition to something from the original Constitution of the United States. Let's start there. Let's be sure we all get that part clear. Every law today in 2022 came from either the Constitution of the United States and its framers. It came from the common law, which was here long before the immigrants arrived in 1492. Actually, it was 1446. 1446. So these laws that we have on the books today, they're from way back when. So I knew what made sense in my mind, if we're gonna talk politics on Wednesdays, you gotta know the history in order to understand, to comprehend where we are today. You can't fight or defeat the laws of today or know how to advocate for the laws of today if you don't know where their roots are from. You, you gotta know the root. So check out the Constitution of the United States. Your homework assignment from now until next Wednesday I'll be right back here with you again next Wednesday. But check out the Constitution of the United States. That one little word, O-F, of, of, makes a million, billion, trillion dollar difference in the United States Constitution. The Constitution of the United States versus the United States Constitution. Let's get that far. Just, just catch up with me to that point. And for those of you who are already beyond me, you're way up here because you already know all of this stuff. You might be a professor at a law school. You might be a law student or, or a student of the Constitution and theory, theory and the framers. So I'm interested in hearing what you have to say because I wanna learn. 
and I have an ego that's big enough to think that after 13 years of studying the law since my son's been incarcerated, he's been incarcerated for 13 years, I've been studying the law for 13 years. And I started with the Constitution and learning the difference of that little teeny word of. So ladies and gentlemen, it may seem like it's boring and you're, you're not interested because we're not directly talking about what Mayor Pazicki is doing uh, or what, uh, you know, Senator Coons might be up to or what Joe Biden is doing. We'll, we'll, we will get to that. But you got to know why they're doing what they're doing and how they're moving, how they are moving through this based on the laws and the laws that are derivatives of common law and constitutions. So, so let's, uh, let's delve in. Let's be ready next Wednesday. I pray that the information that I gave you today has been enough to at least wet your whistle, to make you thirsty your mind and your spirit to make you thirsty for more knowledge and more information. That you're hungry to learn more because voting season is not that far away. It's never very far away. Voting season is always upon us with one section or group of politicians or another. The general election, the local elections, the state uh, elections, the national elections, they're always somewhere around. And you want to understand it. But I wanted to start here. As we say from the African proverb, Sankofa. Sankofa. Look back to see forward. Know your history to comprehend your future. You're listening to Rochelle Wilson here at WHGE 95.3 FM. Wednesday's Political Power Hour. And I'll be here with you every Wednesday unless I am at a political event to which I will be broadcasting remotely. I won't be in the studio, but I'll be broadcasting to the studio from another location. But we're still, we're still gonna do the Political Power Hour with Rochelle Wilson under the umbrella of make some intelligent noise. And I'll leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen, here's a little something for you to study. I looked up the word politics because I wanted to know in the question, what are politics? This was prior to me going all the way back and understanding the constitutions. What are politics? Politics are the governance of a country or an area of that country. Politics is about making agreements between people so that together they can live together peacefully in tribes, in cities, or in countries. It is the art of government. And we're gonna get more into that when I come back and I join you here Next Wednesday, I will, uh, I have invited a guest to join me, and I pray that, that they will be able to make it. 
but whether they make it or not, I will be here and I pray you will meet me here for the Rochelle Wilson Political Power Hour. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Stay nice and cool. Take care of yourselves and please save Mother Earth. Save her today for your posterity years to come. Peace and grace.